Hello, I'm Kathy. And I'm Gary. And this is Torah Talk. Welcome to Torah Talk, the intersection of the mundane and the miraculous. Here we have bold conversations about faith, culture, and politics, and where we fit into God's plans in the 21st century. If you could partner with God, would you? Welcome back, everyone. As you might uh, remember, a couple of podcasts ago, we talked about Yeshua's controversial words in Matthew five seventeen. <laughs> Even though they seem very plain, <laughs> they seem very plain. But uh, he said in Matthew, uh, recorded in Matthew five seventeen, "Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them." Now, of course, we know that the word translated as law is actually the Hebrew word Torah. That's Absolutely. what he was talking about. So in this verse, Yeshua is giving a command, do not think. Yet, ironically, most people within the church do exactly what he said not to do. They think he came to abolish the Torah. Yeah, it's, very, it's so unfortunate. It's been tragic. <laughs> so this is why I said this verse is controversial, because, you know, a clear and simple reading of it does not lead to the conclusion that most Christians have. In fact, most will try to argue that the word fulfill actually means that Yeshua did away with the Torah. So they're actually saying that Jesus said, I've not come to abolish the Torah, but I've come to abolish it. So kind of <laughs> schizophrenic, wouldn't you say? I bet. So in the first part of this series, Gary and I talked about how Christians run to the Apostle Paul to prove that the Torah is abolished. And I encourage you to go back and uh, look for this first part of this series. And we even went into some of the specific verses that they use to make this argument. And today, we want to spend some time talking about what Yeshua meant when he said, I have come to fulfill the Torah. What does that mean, and how did he do that? So after this break, let's talk Torah. Long ago, God declared his redemptive plans for the world he created. Unfortunately, most people have ignored these plans. Now, as the end draws near, believers and non-believers are being irresistibly drawn to the celebration of the biblical feasts which outline God's plan of redemption for mankind in the world. If you found yourself curious about the biblical feasts and you want to know how and why Christians celebrate these holidays, read Declaring the End from the Beginning, Our Past and Future Revealed in the Biblical Feasts. In this book, author Kathy Martirosian delves into the history and culture surrounding the biblical feast days of ancient Israel, as well as how Yeshua, our Messiah, has fulfilled four of these holy days in the past and how he will fulfill the other three when he returns. Visit TorahTalk21.com to purchase Declaring the End from the Beginning, our past and future revealed in the biblical feasts. Last time we talked about this topic, we talked about the abolish part of this sentence, uh -huh. okay, uh, that he hasn't come to abolish and how Christians have, have been uh, very quick to do exactly what he said and say he came to abolish it. <laughs> And they yeah. often run to Paul to do that. Yeah, that's that's the proof text, and it's it's always out of context. And and so yeah. we went back, and I said I encourage the audience to go back and look at some of the specific uh, verses that is are often used to argue to mm -hmm. make the argument that the that the Torah has been abolished, and we put them back in their proper context. I, absolutely. So yeah. so today we want to look at the word fulfill, and you know. You can go back to your basic Merriam-Webster's dictionary and you can look up, you know, what does the word fulfill mean? And you can see several different uh, definitions. To put into effect or to execute, to meet the requirements of, to measure up to, to develop the full potential, potential of, to convert into reality, and to bring to an end. All of those could mean what fulfill means, uh -huh. right? But isn't it interesting that Christians run to 
to bring to an end. Yeah. That's the one that they run to. But in order to, to conclude that that's what fulfill means, you basically have to ignore the first part of Yeshua's statement. I've yeah. not come to do that. <laughs> well, you have to ignore the first part of the statement and you have to ignore everything that he did. You, you know, I, I put just a quick list, just five items here of things that we see in Scripture that Yeshua did. did. Or at least uh, one, I think one of them is Miriam, his mother. But uh, Luke... <laughs> Good Luke, old mom. Yeah, yes. well, you know, obviously it was this, this was important. Mm-hmm. You know, Luke 2.21 talks about him being circumcised on the eighth day. Was that according to the law of Moses? Yes. Yes, he fulfilled and, uh, the law of Moses. Exactly. <laughs> Verse 22, the pur- purification offered by the law of Moses. That, that was, uh, of course, his mother. Uh, Matthew 3.15, he is mikvah when he says to to John or Yochanan, the immerser, uh, fulfill all righteousness. That's what well, he was referring go. Fulfill. to. <laughs> Luke 2.41, he says every year they went to the feast. When he went at 12 years old, he was going because his family went every year. And it's potentially because he was 12 years old, he was there for his bar mitzvah. You yes. Know? Yeah, you know, absolutely. It's not specific there, but I think that's where why he was there. Why it points out that particular That trip, age, yeah. At that, that age. age, right. And then again, then of course, then he goes back and submits himself to his mother and his father in the same chapter, which is honor your mother and father, according to the Torah. And then finally, uh, the Sabbath, Luke 4, 16, it says he went into the synagogue on, on the, the Sabbath, Sabbath, as was his custom. So, I mean, you have to ignore all of this in order to say he came to abolish the Torah. He's Here he is living it out. He's living it out. And just because he did these things, uh, that did not mean that no one else should be doing them. <laughs> right. You know, that didn't stop Paul from doing it. Paul knew, the disciples knew exactly. that just because these things uh, that Yeshua had done them, that didn't mean they were done away with then at that point. No, he that was, doesn't he, make any he sense. He was teaching us how to live a righteous life. If we look at where this, this passage comes from, it's what? Right in the midst, uh, right after the Beatitudes. Attitudes, or it's really in the midst of them. It's right can, in the middle of the Beatitudes. Yeah. They have not, the, the passage we're talking about, I've not come to abolish. Right. So therefore, he's teaching. What? Who is he teaching his, his Jewish audience to continue, or this is how you fulfill a righteous li- a life, living righteously. Right. That's the context here. Yes, absolutely. Now, when we were together talking this um, a couple podcasts ago, you brought up a book that uh-huh. you had read, and um, I have not gotten that book yet, but I need to get that book. Um, and, and it was talking about these words in this particular yeah, verse. Yes, it's, it's very good. It's a good friend of mine, Dr. Rick Wodge. Um, he wrote a book, Discovering the Jewish Roots of the Gospel of Matthew. And he's Love done, the title. <laughs> yes, and he's done, he's done others. Um, good friend of mine, and I love what he's done here with the Aramaic because the, the Aramaic was the language of the day, which is a form of Hebrew. Uh, again, we've talked about that. Mm-hmm. It's not some other language uh, that sometimes uh, people think it is. But uh, what he was saying was that the word in the Aramaic was, I did not come to change. It's, it's uh, deshrei which means change. And they said it also, that word means to let go or to, to dismiss. I did not come to let go. I did not come to dismiss. It also is um, used when someone is loosing someone from their marriage vows. So again, I did not come to break the vows. It's also used in breaking commandments. I did not come to break, break a the commandment. commandments. Whoa. So there's, there's the use of that Aramaic word there. And then the fulfill uh, Demayale means to 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 fill up or to to fully uh, accomplish. So the comment that I read last time, and I'd love to repeat, is that there's a, a Orthodox Jewish commentator who said this is a a rabbinism with a vengeance. And what did he mean by that? Uh, because we we have to finish that passage. He says, "When I did not come to um, to abolish." He also says, for assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the Torah until all is fulfilled. So what he's saying is, he's, it's this rabbinism is that he's referring to Deuteronomy chapter 4. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 1 and 2 says, 
And now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the rules that I am teaching you and do them. What a concept, right? <laughs> that you may live and go in and take possession of the land that the Lord of your God of your fathers is giving you. Verse 2, you shall not add to the word that I command you, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I'm commanding you. So basically what Yeshua is saying is, uh, because he says not one of the smallest letters, he's saying, and that, that we know the smallest letter to be the Yud, and the, and the smallest uh, mark on the, on the Hebrew alphabet is a, is a kotz, which is this little crown that's placed over certain letters. What Yeshua is saying is that in this Tanakh, because remember, the New Testament no did not New Testament, exist. yes. In the Tanakh, or what the world calls the Old Testament, is precisely and exactly the truth. And you have it, and, and the tiniest stroke of that truth will be, will be the truth and stay the truth until the universe ceases to exist. And right now, it's still existing. So it's still, still existing. It's, today that's, it is. <laughs> that's what Yeshua is literally saying. None of this will be, will be taken away until all it passes away. And we're still and here. And we're not there. <laughs> exactly. We're not there yet. You know, yeah. we might be tomorrow. We might be next week. And, you know, but we're not there yet. So, so indeed, in this idea of, of fulfilling uh means something different than to end or get rid of. Absolutely. So, and Gary already spoke about um, multiple uh, instances in Yeshua's life from birth, where his parents started off um, obeying the commands of Moses, okay? Mm -hmm. And in their doing that, of course, Gary, that's what allowed him to be perfectly compliant to the law, which is what was required to be the perfect sacrifice that for is sin. A huge, huge yeah. point. Yes. And it needs to not be understated at all. We can't overstate it enough. Right. It, it, I mean, it is so important to understand that he was. Was compliant to the Torah in order to be sinless. That's right, and his parents had to be too. And, yes, they right. had to. That's be. why he had to be born to Hebrew parents they who understood this. Yes, right? so he could be obedient to them. Right. If it, you couldn't put Jesus coming into the world to a Gentile family that did not circumcise him on the eighth day, exactly, you, you couldn't do that. Yes, they had. They had to be fulfilling the Torah in order to keep him compliant at an age when he couldn't make that decision when he. Was circumcised on the eighth day, he was he was Torah compliant, but it was because of the faithfulness of his parents. Wow, mom and dad play such an important yeah. role. <laughs> you know, I remember that one of the the best way of understanding that statement that I, I, I think I've ever seen is I I haven't come to abolish the Torah, but to show you how to live it. I love that. I it's That's so that that's the essence of what we're talking about here. It really is. It's the essence. And, and, and we need in Christianity, we really need a big paradigm shift. We talk mm -hmm. a lot about shifting our paradigm. Yes. And this one is so major. That's why I identified this verse as controversial, because it is so misunderstood or ignored or whatever the case may be. Yeah. And, and I think it ties in, and we've, we've touched on this before when you talked about the essence of what he's saying here. Also, the spirit of the Torah. He's teaching us how to live the spirit of the Torah, this, 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 un, uh, this wrong idea, this wrong paradigm of thinking it's the letter versus the spirit. No, he's showing us how to keep the Torah and what the spirit of that Torah is and how to balance out the weightier aspects of it. And a perfect example of that is John 13, when Yeshua washes the feet of his disciples. Um, he, says, he says in John 13, 14, Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. Mm. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. And so once again, he's showing them a spirit. It, it doesn't say the Torah specifically says, go wash the feet of your disciples. That doesn't say that. Right. But the spirit of the law, he was trying to teach them there. So that's a perfect example, is, I think, of what you example. were talking Servitude. about. Yeah. And, yeah. and, uh, and, and he demonstrated it. That's, yes. This is the key. I'm going to show you how I'm to do it. I'm going to show you how to do it. Yeah, yes. I love, I love that statement. I love that. Now... 
for a little bit of review, for those of you who might not have been with us all along, who are maybe new to this whole uh, Hebrew uh, foundations of the faith, um, we can all agree as as Christian believers, I think, which is probably what most of our audience is, um, that Jesus was without sin. He was sinless. I think we can Amen. all agree with that, right? Mm-hmm. And he had to be, like we said, without sin in order to qualify to be the perfect sacrifice for our sin. But the question is, what does it mean to be sinless? What did it mean to those people who walked with Jesus? What did it mean to him, Right. And what it meant to him is is really answered in 1 John 3, 4. Everyone who sins breaks the law, Torah, Torah. right? Um, So everyone who sins breaks the Torah. In fact, sin is lawlessness, Mm Torahlessness. So by definition, sin is breaking Torah. We don't think of it. We're not taught that in the church. We're talking what sins are. We know they're bad. We know we're not supposed to do them. We know what a lot of them are, Yeah. right? Right. But that connecting it now back to Torah, that doesn't happen. Yeah, that's that's huge connection, and it's not taught. You're absolutely right. Yeah, by right here in our New, New Testament scriptures, we have a definition of sinless. Okay, mm-hmm. and and so sinless is someone who doesn't break Torah. We need to get that into our brains, and if it uh, is a if it is not consistent with what you've been taught, you need to wrestle with this a little bit because this is in your scriptures and this is truth. I like the way you put that. Uh, you know, we're we're to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. I think what you're talking about is exactly that. Wrestle with these truths and understand what they mean to you. Right. Yes. Uh, that you know, the New Testament is is very clear. You know that Yeshua was without sin, and we have He has made He has made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Um, this meant he was Torah compliant, absolutely Torah observant. You've heard us say that. The conclusion is that Yeshua was perfectly Torah observant. That's another way to say he was sinless. Right. I don't think you can come to any other conclusion unless you're really doing gymnastics with the word. Right. And yet the concept of his disciples, like you and I, trying to be like him and be Torah observant is often interpreted in the church as sin itself. That is such a tragic truth. I mean, you're right that we're being legalistic and that's sin. And now you're, you're denying Yeshua somehow. You're denying your Messiah. No, we're emulating him. We're doing what he asked us to do. You know, it says in John 4, um, Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. The reason that Jesus was Torah observant was because he was doing the will of the father. Amen. Okay. That's, that's why, that's why we want to be Torah observant, right? Yes. Is we want to do the will of the father. That is not sin to want to do the will of the Father. How could it be? It's and it's also opposite. not me saying, I am going to earn uh, anything from the Father, earn His grace or earn my salvation by doing these things. It is the exact opposite of this. Right. I don't do it in order to earn salvation. I do it because I have been saved. Beautifully said. Yes. So what happens when we don't obey God's Torah? The answer to that is found in Romans 6, for the wages of sin, which I'd say the consequences of Torahlessness, right, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we die when we don't obey Torah, when we sin, another way of saying that. Right from the beginning. We saw the fall. They said, surely you will die. That's you, right. Yes. That's right. So we owe a debt, our life, for our sin, unless we accept that Yeshua paid this debt for us, his life for our life. That's mm-hmm. what's happening there, right? Right. But, you know, I'd like to... 
I'd like to use the example, and I've said it before, it's like getting and paying for a traffic ticket. If you get a traffic ticket and you go pay for it, does that abolish the traffic laws? I mean, is the next guy, now that Kathy's paid her ticket, he can drive 75 and a 55? Well, absolutely not. It's a great example. You know, so, you know, sometimes we just complicate matters. We talk about that a lot. I, I think we over we spiritualize things instead of looking at them at face value and, and, and understanding it practically. Exactly. So one way of understanding what Jesus meant in Matthew 5, 7 is to see that he was showing us how to be obedient to our Heavenly Father. He was showing us how to love him. And, and he was doing it according to what the Father said is the way he wants to be loved. This is how I want you to have a relationship with right. me. You can't just approach me in any old way you want. Um, I want you can show your love to me by doing this. No different than a parent. You can the child can show love for the parent by obeying them, getting home on time when they said to get home. That's how you show you love your parent. Yeah, I, I love how practically you're putting it. It's it, that's it's a, these are great examples. That's all it is. Simple. Yeah. Simple. Yeah. Keep it simple, stupid, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, and yet we do spiritualize it and try yeah. to complicate matters and the theology gets mixed in mm -hmm. and oh gosh. Mm -hmm. You know, another thing that I, I remember learning that was really powerful to me in talking about this idea of Jesus fulfilling Torah is we all remember in John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Right. No one comes to the Father except through me. So he's three things, Gary, mm -hmm. right? The way, the truth, and the mm -hmm. life. So you start looking, and you're like, what else is described in our Bible as the way, the truth, and the life? And I think if you've been with us for a while, audience, <laughs> you know my answer is always going to be Torah, right? right. Um, the correct answer is Torah, or it's Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> always, as we've joked. But anyway, Psalm 119 said, Blessed are they whose ways are blameless, who walk according to the Torah of Jehovah. All right, so the Torah is the way. The way. And, and we know from, the, from our scripture, from the New Testament, that the, the movement that Yeshua started was called the oh, way. The way. Because Absolutely. they were, they, it was, uh, halakha is, means to walk. I mean, to keep the Jewish law means to walk it out. Yeah, That's right. The way. So 119, 142, Psalm 119, 142 says, your righteousness is everlasting and your Torah is true. Oh, so it's the way and it's true. And it's true. true. So How it's all truth. Okay. So <laughs> so what about the third? What's your bet? Do you think we can find something to say that? <laughs> My money's on you, Kathy. Yeah. And Gary, we just read this a couple Torah portions ago, and it was very, it's very impactful to me. In Deuteronomy 32, this was in the song, uh, after the Song of Moses, right? right? Uh, at the very end of the Torah reading yes, as cycle. We, as we cycled around. Yeah. Yes. It says, Take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day so that you may command your children to obey carefully all the words of the Torah. They are not just idle words for you. They are your life. Wow. Isn't that powerful? So what, so what you just said, Kathy, is that the Torah is the way. The Torah is the truth, and the Torah is the life. And if Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, then Jesus is Torah, and Torah is Jesus. And, and if we're trying word. to get rid of the living word, right, right. made the flesh. Word made flesh. Okay, first day Tie it John. together, everyone. That's right. <laughs> um, so uh, I liked um, in um, the New Chosen all right, we're big fans of Chosen. You right. guys know that, right? Yeah. And in the, the trailer. Uh, trailer that came out, uh, the, one of the Pharisees says, Jesus, if you do not renounce your words, we will have no other choice but to follow the law of Moses. And Jesus responds, I am the law of Moses. That is fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, cha-ching. If, I, if I wasn't a fan, I'd be one yeah, now. Yeah, but I already, absolutely. Yeah, that is 
absolutely. I he was. I mean, John describes him as the Word made flesh. He was the demonstration, the personification of the Torah. I am so glad that the chosen got that. Oh, so that was a that's a powerful line. That's a powerful line. I think they have to have some messianic rabbis in there. Yeah, I think they have a a messianic, a a preacher, a Protestant preacher, and a a Catholic priest. And there you go. And and a rabbi, probably. Probably and a rabbi rabbi too. Yes, yes. So, um, so yeah, our our messianic rabbi in there is I am the law of Moses, and I was like, (laughs) yes, yes, yes. So, you know, what it really comes down to, when we, you know, without purposely knowing this, when we cancel Torah, we're canceling Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. Think about that one for a moment. You know, the, the very, the very, uh, the one that the, the church idolizes and worships. And when I say idolize, I, be, I, I want to be clear, uh, Yeshua's mission was to point us back to the Father. And I think he he grieves when we forget that fact. Uh, he he came to do the will of the Father always, and always gave credit to the Father. And when we forget to to worship the the one true the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Creator of the universe, Yehovah, uh, or however you'd like to, to right to Yahweh that, or whatever, right. Is is what his mission was all about? Right. Get us back to love the loving Father. Well, it's the way to what? What do you? What? Are, what's the way to? It's back to the relationship Rest- with the Father. Restoring our relationship, relationship. with right, him. Yes. right. That's the way, and yes. the way, truth, and life. Was he the way to? Yeah. You know, we could do podcast after podcast. As you know, Gary started off just giving us some brief examples of Yeshua fulfilling Torah. Okay, mm-hmm. starting with birth. Um, now I want to look at some more, a little more in depth of examples of how Yeshua fulfilled Torah. Before I do that, I do want to acknowledge that the the verse in Matthew 5.17 also references the prophets, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So he's saying that he hasn't come to abolish either of those, but to fulfill both of those. But I don't think the church really has a problem with the idea of Jesus fulfilling the prophets and the prophets. I don't think they have a problem of saying Probably that. Probably not. Uh, no, that, I've never heard that issue, but it's the I haven't either. I haven't yeah. either. So that's why. So I just wanted to acknowledge that that is part of the Matthew 5.17 verse and statement. I just don't think that's a problem that the church has. I think right. we, we, we get that. So um, I remember when the first time or so through the Torah portions, reading in Deuteronomy 18. And and this was really powerful to me. Um, Moses was saying, I will raise up for them a prophet. Well, this is actually God through Moses. I will raise up for them, Israel, a prophet Mm -hmm. like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. Mm. This is a messianic prophecy. Yes, of course. That Yeshua is this prophet that was raised up from the fellow Israelites. His words are in his mouth. Okay, God's words are in his mouth. And God will hold accountable those who do not do those words, and Yeshua said, he, "He only says what the Father what the Father told him to say, and only did what the Father told him to do." And uh, you know, this 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 is his one of his roles as prophet. Yes, uh, because yes, he was, in multiple roles. Be, but, yeah, yeah, because he's sharing the words of his Father. Yes, and so right there in Deuteronomy eighteen, in the, in the first five books of, of Torah, we have uh, Yeshua fulfilling. What what the Torah said? Yes, literally. Okay, and and keep in mind our audience that thousands upon thousands upon thousands of Jewish people, Israelites, obeyed Yeshua. They saw, they recognized who Yeshua was. They looked back at Deuteronomy eighteen and yes. goes, "Hey, this is the man that they're right. when, talking about." When when someone says, "You know, the Jews rejected Jesus," don't for, don't forget that we're sitting here still today. You know, understanding this word and studying this word and trying to 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 personify this word, all because the original movement was filled with Jewish followers, who understood this fulfillment. Yes, who understood this. You know, 
there's a lot of other ways that Jesus fulfilled Torah. And one that has always been really meaningful to me is the fulfilling the pattern established by Joseph. Yes the suffering servant. Mm. There's a beautiful, beautiful correlations between Joseph's life and Yeshua. Yeah. And we have talked before about the concept within Judaism of uh, Yeshua ben Yosef and Yeshua ben David. So what we have first is Yeshua, son of, of, uh, son of Joseph. Joseph. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Son of Joseph. That means that he was to be the suffering servant. Yes. Just like Joseph was. So think about the Joseph story now back in Genesis. And there's a lot of chapters. I think I'd read that there's like more chapters about Joseph than anyone else, maybe besides Jesus. He has a lot of chapters right there in Torah. Anyway, but he was rejected by his brothers, Mm -hmm. but eventually recognized and received by them. There you go. Okay, so go back to the story. That's your pattern. His rejection was for the purpose of saving his family, as well as the Egyptians and the Gentiles. So he was rejected. If you remember the story, he was sold into slavery, and he ends up in Egypt. Now, what God intended for for evil, I mean, what man intended for evil, sorry, God intended for good. Right. The brothers were, were doing something evil, but God was using this for the purpose of in the future saving the whole family from famine, I mean, that's, Joseph had to be there. It couldn't be any more clear there. Right. You know th- th- what they thought they were doing you know, by rejecting him. Uh, again, they thought they they intended evil. He that that turned about around to save their lives. They it were dying from lives. a famine. Yes. And so literally saved their lives. And now we know that you know that also the pattern of Yeshua saving. Not you know, only eternally. the lives of the family of Israel, but now the uh, Gentiles who came too, with. Them. Yes. Who came with. There was a mixed multitude who came out exactly. of exactly, yes. and we have now our salvation because of this pattern that was established Amen. back there. Is now his rejection uh, resulted in our being saved. Amen. If you remember too. Joseph became Pharaoh's right-hand man. He spoke with the authority of Pharaoh, uh, just as Yeshua does with his father. Mm -hmm. How many times uh, do we have references in the Bible to my right hand? That is a reference to the authority of Yeshua, and he sat at his right Right hand. hand. He takes his place at his right hand. That's exactly who Joseph was in relationship to Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. So like... Whoa, Great picture. Yeah. Just and there's more in that story too. <laughs> oh yeah, but, that we you know, just scratched the surface. We just scratched the surface. Another one would be in the story of Moses, also found in the Torah. What we have there is the pattern of the deliverer. Moses delivered his people from bondage to Pharaoh. Yeshua delivered his people from bondage to sin. Mm perfect pattern being established there. Yeah, which is important to understand when we, for that passage you just read, a prophet like you. Yeah. Yes, exactly, yes. exactly. Yeah. What was the first thing Moses did after they, uh, they, he rescued or redeemed his people out of Egypt? What did he do, Gary? Where did he bring them? He brought them to the mountain. And, learned, and, there, and they received the Torah. They received the Torah. Yeah. The very first thing that he does with the redeemed people is he gives them their instructions for life. Amen. Right? Yeah. Because you've been living like the pagans. You, you don't know what to do with this new life that you've been given. Here's your instruction manual. Uh, that's, again, so practical, so real. Yeah, they come out not knowing how to live according as God's children right. because they've lived under a pagan system as slaves for so many years, and now he's given them the instructions. If you're going to be my children, this is what you will do. And they did struggle with that oh, quite a bit. Oh, big time, yes. yeah. they kept saying, take us back to Egypt. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mentioned uh, the Messiah or Yeshua ben uh, ben. Yosef and then Ben David. So that is the conquering king, the son of David. Once again, we have this pattern in King David Mm -hmm. of of 
what Yeshua is going to be, uh, fulfill in the future as the son of David. Yeah. He's often called the son of son David. Of David. And they Line got of that. Judah. Yes. Yeah, they got that. The disciples understood that, that this Messiah was going to be coming from the lineage of King David. Right. And indeed he did. Mm -hmm. And even what, you know, Christians read and hear in the song is a, is a Christmas song. It comes from Isaiah for uh, unto us a child was born, a son is given, and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called Wonderful. I want to sing this. Counselor, <laughs> Almighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom. Mm. So what we have here, uh, we sing it, you know, that as Christians, they sing it every right. year at churches. There's that idea is the throne of David, the son of David, yeah. um, a, a fulfillment of uh, the scriptures, the prophets, the Torah. Amen. It's a you pattern. Know, it is a pattern. Kathy, think about it. The disciples understood this when they stood with him on the Mount of Olives that final day before he ascended into heaven. They asked him, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he didn't say, guys, you're all wet. You're, that's ridiculous. You're just going to go whoosh off into heaven. He never said that. He didn't contradict them at all. He didn't correct them. He said it's. Ju he just said it's not for you to know the time or the hour. That's right. Only my Father in heaven knows. So he, they understood that, like when King David was in charge, there was a kingdom, a literal kingdom on the earth, and that Yeshua is going to come back and establish that kingdom once again on the earth. And we see that fulfilled uh, in the book of Revelation as he returns and sits on his throne in Jerusalem, in Jer just see, like David did. Again, there's another practical aspect of this that we cannot overlook. Uh, how often uh, I, you know, I used to invite peers of mine to go to Israel on tour and they'd say, oh, I'll be in the New Jerusalem, brother. They would spiritualize it and, and completely overlook the fact that Israel has to be in place. Jew Jewish people have to be in Jerusalem when Yeshua returns. They're Practically in this In earth, this life, yes. on this earth. Yeah, yes. it's not some spiritual heavenly place. Eventually that will, I mean, eventually. eventually there's a new Jerusalem, but, they but skip that's the, not. They skip the millennial reign of that, Yeshua that, on that's earth. That's huge. You don't that's skip huge. that. You don't skip that. And he says, you will not see me again until you say, Baruch HaVah Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So they have to be there in order to say that. Yes, they do. Yes, yeah. they do. And I do recognize audience some of you may 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 say the king the king david story doesn't appear in the first five books of the bible per se i know that okay it's part of the tanakh but so but but yeshua is fulfilling all of this i yes. mean throughout the prophets and the writings and everything he's fulfilling all of it we can't just limit him to fulfilling the torah <laughs> you know <laughs> so um, he did it all um there's also the pattern of uh, Joshua, okay, bringing the Israelites into the promised land, whose name is simply a version of Yeshua, mm -hmm. right, who's going to bring us into a promised land, okay? Mm -hmm. So we've got Joshua doing that as a pattern of, of Yeshua. And what, what is the first thing that Joshua had to do when he went into the land? He had to fight oh, yes. the enemies of God. God used that to use the Jewish people, uh, the Israelites, I should say, right. to to bring His judgment on the, the the those who the idolaters of the land. We have Yeshua coming back to purge the enemies of God, those who come against Jerusalem from the land. It's again the pattern is there. It's, it's, a, it's a and it's not a pretty sight. No, it's, it's not. not a pretty sight. As no, nor was what was happening back exactly. here under Joshua. Exactly. Um, but it's the exact same thing that's mm -hmm. happening. That's a that's sometimes a difficult concept or image for Christians to swallow. Yes, it is. You know, there's the idea, Gary, that we 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 wrestle with every year in Numbers 19, the the concept of the red heifer. Okay, <laughs> and you know every year we really get into this and, and what this means. And I, I'm going to touch on this and I encourage you to read it in Numbers 19. Each year that I've read it, it's actually developed much deeper meaning to me. Yeah. I know the rabbis say it's the quintessential uh, Torah command because they don't understand the reason for it. 
as a believer in Yeshua, I see the pattern of the red heifer. You see the pattern, but also the the the, the reason why it's quintessential Torah command is because they don't understand it, but they do, do it, it anyway. Do yeah. it anyway. When we look at Yeshua's life, we may not understand why in the world. Initially, I I never understood why in the world did he have to go to that cross. Right. But he did it anyway. Yes. But now, of course, we understand the reasons. But he was obedient to his father's command, even though he was look, see, searching in the garden. Is there another way? Right. If this cup can pass from me, you know, please, is right. there another way? Right. But he did it anyway because he found they was, they, this was the only way. Right. And this yeah. was, as we were talking about, the red heifer sacrifice that's in Numbers 19. Mm-hmm. And in this sacrifice, it's really a ceremony for cleansing, okay, like a ritual purification ceremony, and is after coming into contact with a dead body. Now, remember, interestingly, we're dead people walking around before we accept the atoning blood of Yeshua, okay? We're, we're dead men walking, so right. to speak, Absolutely, okay? Yes. So this cleansing from death, this pattern established back in the Torah is still necessary, okay, on a spiritual level. So in the red heifer sacrifice, the blood of that animal was burned with the animal, okay? And the ashes, after it was burned up, the ashes were mixed with the water. And it winds up being splashed on the person who needs the purification. So this is very interesting. This took me years, and I'm not saying everybody's going to get this right off the bat, but you can go in and learn some more about it. But that mixing of the blood and the water that was necessary for purification in this Numbers 19 ceremony, what came from Yeshua when they pierced him with the spear? Mm, John 19 says, one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear and immediately there came out blood and water. Now, when we read it as a Christian with no background, we don't really give a lot of thought to that. Or you might, if you have a medical background, understand what, you know, medically what was happening there. And I've certainly heard that. Mm-hmm. But we, without understanding this Torah and the Torah sacrifice, we don't understand this blood and water thing. But when you read Torah, blood is for atonement and water is for cleansing. Both are needed to reestablish a relationship with the Heavenly Father. So once we atone, you know, with the blood of Yeshua, we must be immersed in baptism. Mm. Both of those things are necessary. So that was the picture that was established back in Torah that was then fulfilled yes. through Yeshua's death on the cross. You know, yeah. so it's a very powerful, powerful uh, imagery or pattern, I guess. And it even Both. happened, this whole ceremony happened outside the camp of Israel, just as Yeshua was uh, was crucified outside, outside the city, right? The city so it was walls, outside. Yeah. yeah. So even the place where it was to happen was fulfilled. The detail is exquisite. Yeah. Oh, 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 Gary, and the other one. The priest who performs the ceremony to cleanse an unclean person himself becomes unclean. unclean. He took on sin. He took on sin. So in 2 Corinthians, he became sin who knew no sin. That was actually a fulfillment of the red heifer ceremony. Mm. That the, the 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 person who who did the ceremony took on the sin and then needed to be you know that person was then cleansed. But there's Jesus taken on the sin. Yeah, yeah. It's again. Whoa. Yeah. Oh, there's it's so rich. It's so deep. It's, there's this so many is why we say. Study and, and and learn the word Hebraically and yes. with this background and context of Torah is because. Yes, you can understand that Jesus is your Savior and that you sinned, but you can't understand it in the ways that you can understand it with the red heifer ceremony and and, and so forth. You can't get that. No, I totally agree. I, I had a, a, f- a former pastor who once said, Israel won't save you, but it might keep you saved. Mm-hmm. And I, I take that further. I think, oh, this this is what I think this was he was leading to, is that these concepts, these understandings, the bigger picture will help you walk out 
your faith all, all your life and not allow and not the, fall from it and not fall from it right because you not it's not something uh, superficial it's right. not something you just have this uh you know you know nebulous faith you see it you see it. it's tangible it's foundational it's, it's foundational it has Absolutely. roots okay yes. like the olive tree of, yeah. of israel it has yeah. its deep roots yes. so it will i I love that statement. Say it one more time. He said, he said, Israel won't save you, but it might keep you saved. I, I fully believe that. I fully believe that. Yeah. That this knowledge and understanding of who Israel is and that and, and how it plays out in God's plan of redemption mm-hmm. will keep yeah. us when times get tough. Absolutely. And I think it was partly in a response to all the people who, and I say this, uh, and, and almost the hair on my neck goes up myself, when people say, what's all this Jew stuff? Right. What's all this about Israel? And I've heard that. I've yes, literally heard that. And that there's, it shows such a lack of understanding of who we serve and what this Bible is all about. Yes. Yes, absolutely. There's a really cool um, pattern in the concept of the kinsman redeemer. Mm. And once again, you can do entire podcasts on just this concept. And, and, but the Hebrew term of kinsman redeemer designates a male relative who delivers or rescues, okay, mm-hmm. or redeems. So he can redeem property, Okay, Uh, by property that's been sold out of the family and he redeems people. All right. Now think about that. Yeshua as a kinsman redeemer, redeeming his um, his property. The um, Yeshua returns to redeem the land of Israel. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And and reestablishes it as God's land, and and He reigns from Jerusalem, Amen. and He's He's completely redeemed that land. Okay? Yeah. To understand this kinsman redeemer pattern, just go read the Book of Ruth. Oh yes. It's a beautiful story, and you can't ignore the fact that Ruth's statement there that your God shall be my God, your people my people, is the pattern for you and I. Absolutely. And it's a beautiful story of what a kinsman redeemer will do. Absolutely. He redeems land. He redeems people who've fallen into slavery. So that's exactly what Yeshua does for us and mm-hmm. our slavery from, from sin. Mm-hmm. His, he redeems us. He will redeem Israel. There's that verse, all of Israel will be saved that Paul talks about in Romans. And we don't know exactly how that happens, but we can trust that that's the truth. And that is what he's going to act as the kinsman redeemer for, for his brothers. Amen. You know, um, the other thing, and this kind of relates to what you were just saying about when Jesus returns and he fights, um, the kinsman redeemer avenges the murder of a relative. Yeah. And that's really what's happening when Jesus returns and fights those nations that have not treated Israel well. No. Let's and, say it and that you can way. Take, and you can take that all the way back to the promise God made to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. He's going to come back for all those who have treated Israel poorly. Yes. Uh, and we look at our history and how poorly how poorly the Gentiles have treated the Jewish yes. people. And, and, and you look at our country now, and we have historically treated Israel very well, probably more so than most any other nation. And we're living on residual blessing. I think, I think we really <laughs> are, Gary. I think that's yeah. a really good point. And as if we turn as a nation, then um, that that Genesis twelve three uh, statement is in 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 it's going to play impact. out. Yeah. It's going to have it's yeah. going to have a it's going to play out. I think that's why uh, those of us who have an understanding of this were so thrilled when President Trump reestablished the embassy in Jerusalem. Yes. Okay. Yes. We saw that as blessing Israel by recognizing that their true capital is in Jerusalem. There is blessing for a nation and for a leader who does that. Agreed. Um, we may not see exactly how that is playing out either in his life or in our life, but there is blessing for that. We can trust that. Absolutely. Even if we can't see it, we know that it was the right thing to do and for other nations to follow suit. Yes, absolutely. 
You know, Gary, one of our favorite topics has always been the the biblical holidays, the mm-hmm. feasts or festivals of Amen. the Lord, the Moedim. And those are are just a picture of the work that Yeshua uh, has done when he first came to earth and will do when he comes Amen. again. Amen. And, you know, I, we said it earlier that uh, his family and he attended the feast his entire life, every year. Yes. And then, so we can apply it on that practical, practical level. Practical, And then we can obedience. look at it, the things that he, he himself said and what the scripture says about him. Uh, quick rundown. Yes. Uh, we'll, we'll do eight examples because there are seven annual feasts and, of course, the Sabbath. And the Sabbath. But Luke 6, 5, I am Lord of the Sabbath. Bam. Bam. Got that. <laughs> Got right, that one. Uh, the the P- Pesach, Passover, John 1, 36, I, he, he, behold the Lamb of God. Right. Uh, unleavened bread. It comes right after, you know, during Passover. John 6, 35, he is, he's, uh, un, he is the bread of life. You know, he was unleavened bread without sin. Without obviously. sin, right? Uh, first fruits comes within that uh, unleavened bread week, right? First uh, Corinthians fifteen verse twenty and twenty three, Paul describes Yeshua as our first fruit. First fruits of the resurrection. And and get this one, I love this one. You know, he says the spirit, uh, um, uh, you know, was came on the Shavuot. You yes. know that Shavuot was where we see that what the church calls Pentecost, the outpouring of his spirit, right? What does Romans 8, 11 say? The same spirit that raised Messiah from the dead dwells within us. Yes. So there's that Yeshua sure. connection with yes, the spirit Shavuot. coming in yes. Shavuot, right? Yes, yes. And then you have the fall feast, Yom Trua. Once again, uh, Matthew 24, 36, uh, I think, again, is a, a holy riddle. No one knows the hour of the day. We scan the skies looking for that new moon for Yom Trua, the Feast of Trumpets. The for, day of darkness. For, uh, yes, the, for the day of darkness will pass and he will come. Um, you know, the, the, the light shining, uh, the, the darkness, behold, the, the heavy darkness and the light will... And the light will come, come forth. That, forth. And yeah. that's his will, as, as we understand it, be that fulfillment in the future of when he returns. Absolutely. Yes. And then, of course, we don't have to go far with to, Yom Kippur to, to, Yom Kippur to know yeah. he's our atonement. First John 2.2, yes, he is easy. our atonement. And then finally, Sukkot or Tabernacles, Revelation 21.3, he will tabernacle he with will us. He will tabernacle or dwell with us. I mean, could it be any clearer? Those are, that can't not, it cannot be a coincidence that he fulfills Every single of one those. of those. Every, Every one. single one of those that's described in Leviticus 23, starting with the weekly right. uh, festival, Sabbath, Sabbath the yes. Sabbath, and then the annual seven festivals. And, you know, we have great joy as we celebrate, and we've been doing this for 20 plus years. And I'm, I'm very excited because I do see within the church uh, a more openness, a desire to, mm-hmm. to learn about these festivals. I think this is all part of the great restoration that, that is spoken of in uh, Acts 3.21, where Yeshua must remain in heaven until the restoration of all things. And I think, obviously, the festivals are. And just think of how much we have missed all these thousands of years as believers in Yeshua and not celebrating those holidays. Uh, we've... It's not that we haven't been saved. Once again, back to your statement is that right. we can be saved without, without Israel, but the keeping of it and the depth of understanding and appreciation for what for God's plan of redemption. You know, we go out as Christians and we we share the ABCs of salvation or something like that. Uh, God's redemptive plan right. is the feast. Holidays. Amen. It's just, it, that's what the reason was. This is the track that you should be handing out. Is the hey, we should be celebrating these feasts. Okay? Amen. Because meeting with God, what should what what is bad about <laughs> that? And this appointment that he set up that he wants to to uh, to be with his children. You know, I mean, think if we think in those terms of a loving father wanting to spend time with his children and we blow it off. Right. If you think in those How terms, sad. it is sad. It's tragic. It's and and so what what is wrong with the idea of God said, come on, I want to I want to get together with you every week 
And seven times a year, there's special time set aside. Now, again, I know the Christian argument. Oh, well, it doesn't matter what day you get with God. You can, you know, can get with him anytime, worship him anytime. Yes, you can. But he, our Father, the creator of the, the universe, universe, set specific times aside that he personally wants to spend time with you. Behold, I'm knocking at the door. Exactly. <laughs> Open the door for heaven's <laughs> sakes, okay? And invite him in, right. you know? And and when we, I believe firmly that if the church, the body of believers had been celebrating these holy days as they should have, I believe the impact of that on the world would have been so fantastic. And I do believe that that's the future we're looking in as more and more believers celebrate these holy days is you will have people, I'm not, not even just believers in Yeshua, but I find these holy days to be very intriguing to non-believers too. Yeah. They seem to be quite open to that, you know, just like they're open to Christmas. Okay. That, that everybody's open to a holiday. Yeah. Okay. It's like, yeah. well, I'll celebrate a holiday. Well, this is a holiday based on the way, the truth, and the life. Okay, Amen. these are holidays that are God's holy days. Yeah. So, let's say that attracts a non-believer, and they get in there and they learn the truth. It's a very powerful way, I think, it to is. reach the, the, the lost. I, I, there, there's no, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing bad I can find. There's no negative reason. You know, to do this, and and not and only yet we haven't been doing right. Them. <laughs> and so there's there's obviously there's the personal benefit, there's the you know evangelical benefit, but what about the 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 horror that could have been prevented to the Jewish people over the last two thousand years had we not lost this connection? Oh wow, yes, yes. What, what about that aspect? We the replacement theology is has caused more death, more persecution, more destruction uh, to the Jewish people than any other theology or right. any other any other thought right. process. Coming on from Earth. within the body, coming of from within the body, and so look at look at what could have been prevented. Yeah, we mentioned a few weekends ago the church fathers calling them the miserable festivals of yeah. the Jews. These yeah. aren't the miserable festivals oh of the gosh. Jews. Yeah. These are God's holy days. He Amen. describes them as my appointments Amen. with you in Leviticus 23. Yeah. And that, so I look at I look at all of that and I think, wow, how tragic. And if we can do anything to restore uh, our relationship with him and our relationship with our brothers, the Jewish people. Yes. And I think I think the celebration of the, the holy days is a perfect way to do it. But you know, audience. We have just barely scratched the surface of giving examples of how Yeshua came to fulfill the Torah. You know, there is no getting around around it that the Torah is alive and well. I say because Jesus is alive and well, Amen right? Jesus is Torah. Torah is Jesus. You know, Jesus is alive. Torah is alive. Yes. Okay. We cannot in good faith continue to separate Torah from our Savior, Yeshua. It is, it is impossible to do, although we have accomplished it to some degree, but only um, at great cost. Tragic, great yes. cost yeah, yes. to ourselves and to the Jewish nation. Yes, the yes. Jewish people. Yeshua is the Torah, the word. The Torah is still in effect, and the followers of Yeshua would be wise to acknowledge it and act accordingly. How it must pain Yeshua to hear those who love him say, the Torah has been abolished. Everything about his life, death, resurrection proves otherwise. The church has had blinders on for over 2,000 years as the enemy of our souls has convinced us that obedience to God's word, to his Torah, is somehow a sin. But, you know, it's changing, Gary. Yeah. We are at this time of restoration, as I mentioned earlier, Acts 3.21. Yeah. I, I, I want to read it specifically right from, right from the Word. Sure. Uh, this is Peter, okay, at the Pentecost experience where they were celebrating mm. Shavuot. And he says to the people, Repent ye therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord, and he shall send Jesus the Christ, which before was preached unto you, 
whom heaven must receive until the time of restoration of all things, which God has spoken of by the mouth of his holy prophets since the world began. So Yeshua does wait almost in heaven uh, for this restoration process. Well, actually, he began the restoration process with his death on the cross. Okay, that was now go out into the world and restore my kingdom, bring the good news of the gospel to my people, gather up my sheep and all who will come with them. I would say the, the restoration process started with Abraham. Yeshua was trying to get us back. To the Abrahamic faith. That's how I far. I think that God's made that decision to restore way, all things way, way, back. way, and then back Yeshua then. just demonstrated it. Yes, you know, yes. Th- thousand, two thousand years. I like that. Yeah, later. I like that. And I, and and you know, we can be part of this restoration process. Yes. Yeshua is going to bring it to completion. Yes, that that's his job to bring it to completions. So. So many things are being restored. The nation of Israel was restored in 1948, as the prophet said. God is bringing his people back to their promised land, the Aliyah. As the prophet said, the Torah is being restored slowly but surely to the disciples of Yeshua. And we're really mightily blessed to be living in this time. Yes, there is much darkness and trouble, turmoil, And there will certainly be much more. But this is the time foretold by the ancient prophets. And we're alive to witness it. Praise God. Hallelujah. Praise God. That is a privilege. It is. It's exciting times. It's very exciting. And God chose us, each one of you here listening in our audience, each of you has been chosen to be alive at this time for a reason. He has a plan and a purpose for you related to his big plan of restoration, right? If you could partner with God, would you, right? He's brought you to this time, this place, this position for such a time as this. Please don't miss out on it. Shalom, everyone. Shalom. Thank you for listening. Please join us next time on Torah Talk.